Welcome, everybody, to the Last Ones In podcast, where being late to the party isn't a bad thing. I am your host, Jirai Archuleta, and with me today we have E. Hello. And then from their homes, respectively, we have Robbie. Hey, guys. And Rocky from across the country. Hey, guys. (laughs) (laughs) And today, the movie that we're taking a look at, as promised by last week, is Blade Runner. 2049, directed by Denis Villanueva. That's not the same director. It's not. It what? isn't. I feel like Ridley Scott was too busy directing that crazy Hennessy commercial that I showed you not too long ago oh. during this time. He actually was busy directing something else at the time. He, they spent tons and tons of years developing the scripts and the everything for Blade Runner 2049. And then when it finally started getting off the ground, it was right when Alien Covenant was about to start filming, and he was already getting ready to film that. So he was like, I can't direct both of them at the same time, so I have to give one of them away. And he gave Blade Runner 2049 away to someone else to direct. That's an interesting choice. Yeah, so he directed the god-awful Alien Covenant instead. What am I going to do without my Ridley's Believe It or Scott? (laughs) Have you been saving that for like (laughs) a week? I just thought about it, actually. <laughs> but before we really start talking about this movie, let's talk about what's been going on in everyone's lives. E, since you're right here with me, Hello. let's start with you. Uh, I did the unthinkable. I finished a series. I finished the Midnight Gospel. Oh yeah, you've been talking about that. How was that? I really love it. Um, I think it's probably one of my favorite adult cartoons I've seen. Huh? Not that there are very many good ones in my opinion, anyways. But really, only one or two. Yeah, but like. It's just really good, and the thing I like about it is it is it allows itself to still feel kind of like whimsical and outlandish, and it like it lets itself use color, which is something a lot of adult cartoons don't. Yeah, I will say all of the trailers that I've seen for it, it's extremely colorful. Yeah, and then I was surprised it's only eight episodes, which surprised me because usually thirteen is around what cartoons get. Yeah, so, like, Netflix has been kind of cutting back on a lot of that kind of stuff. So, mm-hmm. I don't know. I actually, I don't I, I don't know why. Maybe it's, like, just the budget thing. Like, cartoons just cost a lot, so there's they less do. episodes. <laughs> um, that's the only thing I could imagine, anyway. I mean, I, the animation does get stilted sometimes, so it wouldn't surprise me if that's the case. But, yeah, so, that was cool. Um, worked on my game a bit. Did a, did a real big rehaul of some of my mechanics, and I think it's for the better. And then I drew a picture of my friend. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Uh, let's head on over to Robbie. What's been going on in your life? Well, you know, more of the usual, being kind of, kind of boring, honestly. A recluse. Yeah, you could say that. <laughs> I guess, like, one thing, um, I don't know if I talked about the whole air conditioning thing with you guys on the last episode or not. How it was, like, leaking mold? No, it wasn't leaking mold or anything like that. It just had like kind it had like wet dust in the in my oh, thing. I had yeah, to and that Dariah last week. said he doesn't think wet dust is a thing or something like that. Yeah, that's just that's mud. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. More or less, but like it just it felt felt like wet or felt like mud, but more hairy, if that makes sense. That sounds disgusting. Continue. Yeah. Dust um, isn't hairy. If you have hair Okay, <laughs> hang on. My dust is very hairy. Thank you very much. No, that's just wads of hair, not dust. I mean, du- mostly dust is mostly just skin. So, 
And what is hair then, but the skin skin? There's a <laughs> redefining of dust going on here that's extremely weird. <laughs> uh, I did finish the whole Vampire the Masquerade thing, so I can stop talking about that. Or talk about it way more. Or I could talk about it way more. I don't remember what this is. <laughs> Vampire the Masquerade? Yeah. It's uh, it's the- kind of a... It started off as like kind of a D&D clone, only it takes place in modern day and you're a whole bunch of vampires in a secret vampire society. <laughs> D&D Pathfinder, something like that. Yeah, it's, it's like D&D, but it takes place in modern days or like in modern day L.A. And everyone plays like a vampires in secret societies, basically. So it's like kind of LARPing the idea of like trying to like not show your true nature to the people around you. And like it's kind of almost like a... It is very political, I'll say that much. I knew it. The government's controlled by vampires. You can totally do a live-action role-play as a vampire just anywhere. Because you just just tell people you're a vampire. I mean, people do that shit all the time. I mean, right? I feel like the yeah. proper live-action role-play to be a vampire is just not go outside in the day. So I've just, <laughs> I've just been doing that then? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that, that's pretty much been my life for like the past two years then, <laughs> working night shifts. So you went through all of the original game and uh, Bloodlines? Not the original game. Uh, I went through all of Bloodlines. Um, I went through that and I was listening. Oh, I've been listening to um, basically listening to like a Twitch stream over. They were uh, playing the tabletop of it and uh, playing the and playing Bloodlines. I don't think I've ever played Redemption. Redemption was the original one, if I remember correctly. Yeah, I think that, that sounds right. That sounds right. Bloodlines, though, still a great game, in my opinion. All right. Well, let's move on over to Rocky. What's been going on in your life? Well, not much, man. Just uh, living life. I mean, I don't know what you expect me to give you every time you ask this question. It's always the same I want one of these answer. weeks, I just expect you to be like, yeah, I slayed a god this week, but other than that... You'll know when something happens to me because he'll ask you and you'll say something. I'm like, my fucking <laughs> nice. And I'll just interrupt. And talk about I'll be like, thing. yeah, I watched a cartoon. <laughs> Excuse you, E. <laughs> I was honestly, I was kind of expecting you to be like, let me tell you what happened on Ark. <laughs> no, honestly. I mean, that's not really something that I feel like encapsulates a week, though, for me. And it has to do yeah. it for me, right? Unless it was like really cool on arc i don't really want to talk about it but i've already had so many experiences on arc you didn't do a kickflip with a dinosaur or anything well actually i, I climbed on a cliff wall with a dinosaur <laughs> sounds really hard uh it was, it was really cool and then we we actually got all the dinosaurs <laughs> killed in a forest <laughs> i was so pissed <laughs> that's really why you didn't want to talk about so arc isn't pissed. it <laughs> Well, no, it was like these giant feathery raptors that you can only find in a particular map. And we they had like this nest and they were they were extremely difficult to kill. And we jacked the nest, got the eggs and it was extremely hard to hatch. You can't tame them by um, you can't tame the dinosaurs. You have to hatch an egg. And it was a hard it was a hard hatch for me. And then I got I got them. They just they just climb. They just climb. They're like raptors, but they can climb on anything. I was climbing on top of cliffs and looking over like mountaintops. And and then we got them killed because there's these little things that knock you off and make you unconscious. So I was unconscious on the ground and my dinosaur ran off. And all of a sudden I got the notice that it was killed by a terror bird oh, no. on the top of my screen. Well, I'm <laughs> just, just passed out. Yeah. So I was, you know. But yeah, I mean, I didn't want to talk about this. All right. <laughs> 
but no, nothing's nothing is new, relatively speaking. Just you know, uh, watching the world do what the world does and crumble. That's about <laughs> it. It's okay. Let's just go to dry. I really, I didn't have anything. <laughs> um, no, things have been going great. Last week, I I told you guys about my my Wizard of Oz woes, and I did get the Wizard of Oz on Monday. I got it, made dinner, and immediately made Liz watch it because she had never seen the Wizard of Oz before. <gasps> and that was fun. And seeing it in 4K, like, really showed me a lot of the details that are in the makeup of that movie, actually. Like, it's insane how good Scarecrow looks. I think I've never seen makeup that good. He lo- His face looks like a burlap sack. Like, it's textured, it's... It's insane. I don't. I actually don't understand what they did to make it happen. But like he, you can like he has eyes. His face and nose move fine. Like he's, it's just insane makeup. And like it blends in with like the sack that's like on his shirt, like perfectly. It's. I think I know how they might have done that. Like I don't know. Usually, like those weird details like that, it's simpler than you would honestly think. If anything, it's probably like um some kind of well, probably some kind of latex because it was the 1930s. But um, they probably, like, while it was still wet, like, literally just, like, pressed a burlap sack to his face. <laughs> yeah. And I'm then it's just had the texture you, of burlap if sack. It looks like a burlap sack. It's probably a burlap sack. <laughs> yeah. There's really no mystery there. The woman who actually played the Wicked Witch of the West, um, well, there's, I, you probably heard about this too, like, about her getting several third degree burns because of the way that they make her transport in the movie. Yeah. That was another thing. Like, there's a big giant ball of fire effect and smoke effect. And then. She's gone, and then you see a really apparent trap door in the 4K version that was never quite apparent in the other versions for me. <laughs> so that it took away magic and it added magic. So it's still equal levels of magic for Wizard of Oz for me. Well, the funny thing, the production of Wizard of Oz is very similar to the ending of Wizard of Oz, where you don't look at the man behind the curtain. Yes, exactly. <laughs> but yeah, I'm just watching it again in 4K. I am impressed the amount of effort and money that went in to that film even back then like it was it was insane can and like back in the day i was thinking about this when me and liz were watching it like you sit down and before you watch something there's like maybe a cartoon or mm-hmm. there's usually like news footage so can you imagine going to a theater sitting down and there's a bunch of news footage about world war ii and nazis and it's like and here's the wizard of oz like what kind of fucking i don't know shock to the system that would be I mean, also, if I remember correctly, isn't Wizard of Oz the first movie to actually be made in color? Or yeah. one of the first? That's why they hit you with the bam, bitches. Look at that color. It's very colorful. That's probably what it was, too. Is to like That's probably was another shock to the system is like old 1930s news footage and then bam. Yeah, they invented color as a concept right there. Yeah, that's when color happened. <laughs> yeah. We're going to bring up all kinds of details about the Wizard of Oz and not bring up the dude who hanged himself. Okay. Okay, so that is also that was a fun like myth that was like kind of hard to like figure out. It is extremely apparent in the 4K version that it's just an ostrich that hung itself? No, it's just an <laughs> ostrich in the background that put its head up and down. Is it? I have to do research because my impression when I was younger no, is that no, wasn't it's a myth. One hundred percent a myth. I had thought that they'd taken no, that out of the movies. No, that's one hundred percent a myth. How do you know they didn't just they digitally replace it. it with an ostrich in the four K version? Why would they do that? So there's not a hanging man. Well, that's ridiculous. <laughs> yeah, that's one hundred percent a myth though, because that image you can just clearly see in the background that it's just, or like a peacock. I don't. Maybe I don't know the difference between an ostrich and a peacock. I would hope so. <laughs> I don't know the difference between them. E. 
I know in my mind the difference. <laughs> they both have but... long necks. <sighs> it's unfortunately a mess. Damn it. <laughs> Not one fucking suicide. This movie's bullshit. Uh, but also, I felt really bad about not getting that movie on time, so I bought John Wick 2 on 4K to make up to my, my own mental health. So of now course I have all the John Wicks in 4K. When I get... <laughs> I, I just buy, like, a pizza if I'm feeling like that. Not, oh, let me just buy another $40 movie real quick. No, it was only 15 Let me just buy another $50 movie real quick. 15 Let me just buy a 15 plus $30 movie real quick. I don't think you know how <laughs> money works. Anyway, yeah, that's all that's been going on in my life. Uh, pretty boring. But this isn't the Wizard of Oz podcast. This is the Blade Runner 2049 This Week podcast. Yeah, it is that. So I have seen it, which something I do want to say here is I the way that I saw both Blade Runner movies, I'd only seen the first Blade Runner a couple times. Um, I've only seen 2049 once before. I didn't watch it again for any of this research or anything like that because I just wanted to go in with another fresh perspective. But when I originally watched them, I saw the final cut for the first time the day before Blade Runner 2049 came out because it was a special reshowing in theaters. looked amazing, sounded amazing, it was great. And then went home, slept, went to work, and immediately went and watched that movie. So, like, there was not a lot of time between the two for me. So I have really not not a lot of memories of the details of the movie, I would say. The, the overall scope of it, I, I remember, but the, the granular stuff, I don't. So I'm actually really excited to get into this. So I have only seen this the one time. E, you, of course, no, have not seen this movie. Surprisingly, this was one of the sequels I haven't seen. Uh, sometimes I will just see a sequel to a movie I haven't seen the first one to. I've done that multiple times. Yeah, that's how John Wick was for you, and that's yeah. disappointing. John Wick, uh, Riddick, I did that as well. Yeah. That one I think works better. It does, yeah. Yeah, it does. Robbie, have you seen 2049? I have not. Um... I was going to say uh, with the whole thing of you saying that you kind of miss some of the granular parts of it, too, with uh, if 2049 is anything like the original movie, though, I feel like the granular things and like the little small details, those are going to be more important than like the overall scope of what's going on yeah, in the movie. Yeah, that's that's how I'm feeling, too. And Rocky, have you seen 2049? I haven't. All right. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so it's kind of interesting. You all have had a very similar... You've had all the same experience, technically, really. You just We waited almost exactly one week, and you guys are seeing the sequel. Yeah. And I waited 24 hours, and then I saw the sequel. So this is going to be really interesting. So before I read the back of the box, we're going to go with Robbie first. What do you think this movie's going to be about? From what I can tell from like what I've seen with trailers and stuff like that, it almost seems like it's going to be somewhat of like an uprising of the replicants. In this one, like that's kind of the uh, the vibe that I got off of it, though, is it's almost like a almost like a human versus replicant war is brewing. Okay. And uh, there's a and there's going to be a Blade Runner that's trying to, you know, find out who the replicants are to try to stop it from happening. All right. All right. Uh, let's go to E then. Whoa. What do you think this movie's going to be about? It is 30 years from the last movie. All the replicants are on old Earth or whatever they called it in the movie. I forget. And all the humans are on New Earth. And then among the replicants, there is talk about tales of a rogue Blade Runner running away with a replicant. And we follow some replicant in their search to figure out if this tale is true or not. And it ends with that replicant going to New Earth. Okay, okay. Rocky, what do you think this movie's about? Well, I feel like I have a more unique 
idea of what this movie is about than the um, than Ian Robbie. I think that this is a a war between <laughs> replicants and humans are, are brewing, and it's up up to a Blade Runner to find out who the replicants. I mean, I don't mean to blow your minds with this being too unique, but who the replicants are. <laughs> wow, that's that's really unique. I wish Robbie's was as unique. <laughs> I, 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 I mean, I'm not Robbie's... as creative as I'm not as creative as Rocky. What can I say? It's really it's a it's a it's an artistic gift that I bring to this this table. Robbie and E, mostly Robbie, are uninspired, and so I have to. <laughs> and so I have to come in with something completely new and avant-garde and blow everyone's minds away. Okay. Uh... Or Robbie. <laughs> it's a life. <laughs> With that, I am going to read the back of the box for Blade Runner 2049. With answers come questions. 30 years after the events of the first film, a new Blade Runner LAPD officer, K, played by Ryan Gosling, unearths a long buried secret that has the potential to plunge what's left of society into chaos. Kay's discovery leads him on a quest to find Rick Deckard, played by Harrison Ford, a former LAPD Blade Runner who has been missing for decades. The hunt for the truth begins in this follow-up to one of the most visually spectacular films in cinematic history. So according to that back of the box, you're pretty close there, E. Yeah, I just said who finds them wrong. <laughs> um, also, I want to say, for how critically lo- uh, raved this movie was, there is only one critic quote on this entire case. And it's okay. It's, it's read by it's Peter DeBruge from Variety. And the quote is, This stunningly elegant follow-up doesn't depend on having seen the original. <laughs> okay. I think the reason why they chose that quote goes into a lot of how this movie wound up performing. And... A lot of the people behind the production all have different reasons for why they think it failed. I like Ridley Scott's a lot, which we'll go into in the spoilers. I don't know, it's because I wasn't there. His is actually a very human take on why he think it flopped. So, I, I don't know. I kind of, I think I kind of agree with him, which sucks. Well, let's save him for last. Yeah. But, I have to ask the burning question, what is this rated and how long? Well, he... <laughs> You're not going to like either of these things. The runtime is 164 minutes, or otherwise known as 2 hours and 44 minutes, which is a long movie, and it is rated R for violence, some sexuality, nudity, and language. I hope it's homosexuality at least. Homeless? Homo. Oh. (laughs) (laughs) What is homeless sexuality? I don't know. I thought we were getting into a kink. I just... (laughs) It probably is, but it's... (laughs) But yeah. The only thing left is if somebody wants to watch this along with us, Robbie, where are they going to be doing that at? Where could they do that at? So this one, at least in the States, is a, uh, once again a little bit harder to rent. Uh, there's not any streaming services that I know of that has Blade Runner 2049. In America, it was on Netflix for a while there, but the license has kind of fought back and forth on whether it's on streaming services or not. But as of currently, with us watching it now... 
It's just available on the usual suspects with YouTube, Google Play, Vudu, and Amazon Prime, all for $3.99. Yeah, so $3.99 base price there. Um, yeah, come back in a little while and uh, see some non-spoiler opinions. Maybe that'll help you decide if you want to watch it or not. But we'll be right back. We're going to go watch this almost three-hour-long movie. Talk to you guys in just a little bit. And we are back from watching Blade Runner 2049. Yeah, I guess I'm just going to I'm going to ask right away, Robbie. Yo. You literally just got done watching it. Yeah. What did you think of Blade Runner 2049? I rather enjoyed it. Uh I felt like it was a bit more on the nose than the original movie was, but all in all it was a very enjoy or I guess not joyful, but enjoyable is the word I was looking for film. <laughs> it was really good. I did like it. I um, without getting too much into spoilers, like I said, it was a bit more on the nose, but I did really enjoy the world building that they did with this one, too. And how it wasn't just, you know, within like a couple city blocks within one city. This was like more about the world itself. And then they talked more about not only the world within itself, but things that are happening off world, too, and how there was just like this whole bigger picture to it. But all in all, like. I, I really did enjoy it. I would say this is probably a buy, in my opinion. And then let's head over to E. You're not going to like this. Um, I think I expect this one. I think this movie is very boring and inferior to the original in almost every way. Yeah, I think I kind of expected that from seeing your reactions <laughs> when we were watching the movie. I am going to give this a pass. Okay, huh. and Rocky. E, didn't you give the original like a seven? I gave it an eight. Oh, okay, okay, <laughs> I was like, man, you really did not like this fucking movie. <laughs> uh, uh, it was okay. I mean, stream it. I'm not stream it. Rent it. It's worth the rent. It. It's there's some, there's good stuff to it. But I'm I'm with E on this one. It's it's definitely doesn't match the first for certain reasons. I'm also a little bit confused about the overall message because I had some critiques about some of the deeper things, but I'm wondering if my critiques are actually the point of the movie. I guess we'll get there. But yeah. I, Right now, I'm I'm at sort of just a rent for this one. Okay. I think I disagree with all of you. I think that oh. this one is... Disagree that's enjoyable? Yeah, I like the movie. Okay, Robbie I disagree. said bye, bye, bye. <laughs> I disagree with Rocky and E. Okay. I, I think that it is better than the original in every <laughs> single way, almost. And not only that, I think that the message that it brings is not superior but more important than the original. Um, I guess I, I don't, I don't want to go into the message right now because that'd be pretty spoilery, but I honestly do think that it's difficult. Okay, so it is difficult to say that it is better than the original without having seen the original because I think that the only reason why this one is so much better is because of the original, um, because of that foundation that it lays. And I think that it builds on that message from the original about humanity in a way that is eye-opening in a way, and something that I think most people need to hear in the world, because it is extremely important to hear and uh, understand the message. Yeah, I honestly, I really love the message, and I love the color palette and the acting and honestly everything about this movie. If I had just watched this movie and then watched the original, I don't know what my opinion would be, but having seen them both back to back basically when i first saw them this just feels like it stacks upon everything that the original put in place 
and makes everything from the original more meaningful and adds different meaning to different aspects. Yeah, I, I honestly, I really love it. It is a buy, buy, buy for me. So we have two buys, a rent, and a pass. Yeah, very divisive today. <laughs> yeah, I guess uh, if you want to go and watch this movie, then you should do that. If you've seen the original, I really, really do recommend that you go and watch 2049 because I think that it has something important to say. And whether or not you agree with that or not is a whole different thing, but I think it does have something important to say. We're going to jump right into spoilers. We have a lot, a lot to talk about here. So, yeah, we'll be right back. So I guess I'll get this out of way. Uh, before we watched the movie, you were saying that there are a bunch of different contributing sources to sources that say they have an idea of why the movie failed. Do you want to get into that now or should we wait? Yeah, we can get into that right now. Um, some people think that it was just the studio put too much faith in fans on this one and that there was such a loud majority or loud minority, I should say, um, that said like, we want this, we want this, we want this amazing thing that the actual general public never wanted or even cared about it. And so whenever the movie came out, word of mouth got out like, it's more Blade Runner. They're like, Oh, what's Blade Runner? (laughs) (laughs) I think Um, that's a very valid answer to that. Yeah. (laughs) Especially this is 34 years after the original. Yeah, it's been a while. So I think it was just a lot of word of mouth of like, it's this slow fucking movie and it's fucking long and it's not an action movie. That also being said, this movie is probably more action packed than the original one is too. It is. Yeah. And it's still not an action movie by any means. No, it's definitely not. Yeah. There's even hardly any dialogue in this movie, which I think a lot of people who did go into it blind and and watched it ended up probably walking away with a pretty dirty taste in their mouth, honestly. I don't think I would have been I one of those like people. feel like there's more dialogue in this movie than the last one, though. Maybe. I, just, maybe. I, did, there, I didn't feel like it really meant that much. There, there was more dialogue, but what it was is there was a lot more scenes of like, it's like Dry said, the, it, the very first movie was the, bound, uh, the foundation. This one is the building that's built on top of it. So, and that's what I was saying that I liked about this movie is the world building around it about like everything around it and how it kind of painted this whole bigger picture in a sense. And I think I did like that about it is like, there was a lot of, there was, were a lot of scenes where you just kind of soak everything in like with the everything that's going on around you. And I think that's something that I enjoyed about the movie too, is like, it kind of just like took the time to say like, this is what this place is. And like, this is this place and this is how these people live and so on and so forth. And it was very stylized in the way that they did it. And I honestly really liked that. Yeah. And I, and from like what I'm saying with like the original was the foundation in this one. um, Robbie, you put it very well. This is the building that's on top of it. They both carry the same message ultimately, but the finer points within that message are, so very, very different that it almost creates a different message in, in and of itself. Because the originals, um, spoilers if you didn't watch our original Blade Runner, we're going to be spoiling that a lot too here, fair warning. Yeah. The original, its overall message was about what is humanity and overall very hopeful, basically, right? This one's message is hopeful and about purpose. Um, what is purpose? What is destiny? what is a path that you're supposed to be on or what you've been told you should be on and what's the path you're actually on. And I think ultimately they both end fairly hopeful and they put out a hopeful message, but the way that they convey that message is very, very different. But yeah, going back to the original thing about 
why people thought it failed. We were talking about Ridley Scott was originally tr- planning to direct this. He this was his baby, and um, even before researching this, I just had assumed he did. Um, I think in the last episode, you can hear me talking about like, oh, he went, he went and directed this. I was wrong. <gasps> yes. Yes. To be fair, there's a lot of times there's something like it's based off of a memory that I have. And so I'll I'll spout it out and then I go back and research it again and then realize that I just kind of blatantly told like didn't even told a lie. Just told like I remembered it wrong. Yeah. Ridley Scott, after watching this movie, um, because he put all he put a lot of money into this movie. He he was the executive producer. The the man fucking dumped his money into this movie. It did not pay off. (laughs) Um, Oh, no. He only has like eight different successful movies under his belt. I mean, yeah, he's not hurting for money, I assume. Yeah, but. I was going to say he definitely has the money to dump into something like this, especially if it's a more of a passion project. But yeah, I, it is the thing about producers, too, is they put mo- or they put money into a movie hoping that they'll make a return in investment. Well, yeah, yeah, that's just capitalism. Yeah, that's how that's the bu- yeah. that's the business, baby. Yep. <laughs> but yeah, his reasoning when he was asked about it, he's like, you know why I think it failed? It was long. It was too fucking long. It was so fucking long that if I directed this movie, there's 35 to 40 minutes I would have cut out that were fucking pointless, and it was too fucking long. That's almost a direct quote. That sounds like uh, I, I, I share that opinion. Yeah. By the way, that it was too long. I think it's, it's too very long. too long. I I don't let know. Me, let me guess. It's long, but it's necessarily long to get the full point of the characters. No, no, I don't even think yeah, that it's long to get that. the point. Of, no, well, that's why I didn't say it. <laughs> Dry, we're just we're giving you a straw man. You just have to take it. <laughs> um, I don't think that it's long because the characters needed it, but I'm glad it was long because I just really like the visuals in the world, and I just kind of want to exist in it for a little while longer. Just take a screenshot of it. You don't. That's. <laughs> I know you can't do that in the movie theater, but it's. It's kind of like I said. Like I guess that's the way that I feel about it, but. Dry can tell me if he agrees or not. I feel like it's just just to kind of soak in the world around, uh, all right, the world of Blade Runner. It's to soak in everything that's there. Like uh, whenever he's walking around in what's more or less kind of a bear, like the Chernobyl of L.A. is a good example. Yeah, I think that's one of the scenes that I think isn't really explained in the movie very well. The one of the biggest set pieces when he goes and finds Deckard. That's Las Vegas. Um, I feel uh-huh. like that's not really explained very well in it. It's just sort of kind of hinted at more or less. Um, I think like that is such an incredible way that just in the visuals that it conveys what that land has turned into because of the dirty bomb that was dropped there. But you see like in a realistic way how I can imagine Vegas expanding. It just becomes sleazier and dirtier and bigger and bigger. And so you see all these naked statues of like, oh, hey, this is tantalizing, right? Come on in. I didn't have that context. I was like, well, this is a fucking weird ass place, but (laughs) (laughs) that's Vegas, baby. (laughs) And then I really like how he goes in there and the place that Deckard is hanging out in is the vintage casino, which again, it doesn't ever say that it's a vintage casino, except for on a carpet that you have to read backwards and upside down to see that it's a vintage casino. Like it doesn't just straight up tell you like basically this entire set piece of this film, like where this is taking place, why it's so important to the overall story. And why it, this is the place that he ran to. And I think that it's something that you get rewarded with by on the repeat viewing. Because the first time I watched it, I didn't really understand what was happening in that scene much at all. But the second time and then researching the movie, like, I just really, really appreciated it more and enjoyed it more, I would say. And more than my first viewing, which says a lot. Because when I came out of that, I feel like I came out as a changed person, honestly. I had never seen the the messaging of 
of how at least I see this movie as what your destiny or what your purpose is or what you've been told your purpose is in life and whether or not following that is really for you or not, which is ultimately what this movie's about. That's following K. That's his destiny and his story. Is he, he's been told he's this thing his entire life and he has to follow orders, he has to do everything he's told. And then he gets this hint that maybe he's not that. And he just assumes it's not him because that's what everybody would do, right? Everybody assumes they're the special one. Everybody assumes that they're the key to this amazing thing. And ultimately, he's not. He's just another Joe. He's a Joe Schmo. He's just some fucking guy. And it also ends up not mattering that he's just some fucking guy because just because you're some fucking guy doesn't mean you can't do something big and important. And I think that's what's so amazing about this movie is that it says, like, you can be no- you can come from nothing and have no des- and have a destiny of nothing and still make a difference and be important. Yeah, you're still not going to be the biggest deal, but you'll still make a difference. Yeah, see, and that's the problem I had with this movie is the the supremacy factor is so fucking drenched in it that I was like, either the point is this to be on your face, like, oh, look how bad this is, which I agree with, or it completely is entirely deaf to the idea of, uh, like, what is considered big versus what is considered small. I mean, the I think one of the scenes that really says so much is the hologram that he's in love with. Yes. Right? Uh, when sh- she uses the prostitute uh, for her own means, she basically like takes control of the prostitute. Then the next day she's like, I'm done with you. You can leave as if she's an item. And then the prostitute walks by and goes, don't flatter yourself. There's not much in there anyway. And does the same thing. And I'm like, this scene is entirely drenched with the idea of who's more than the other person. Or in their mind, who's more than the other thing and who's more real and who's more human. And so, like, I wasn't see, I wasn't sure about that message because I was like, either it's saying like, wow, look at all these extraordinarily blind people or it's filled with its own shit. And I wasn't entirely (laughs) sure of it because every everything in this. Actually, I'll give you this. Joe was probably the only Joe, his uh, not his father, but like. Because that was my impression, is that dude was his father, but not really his father. Like, he was a replica of his daughter, right? Was the idea? Was, that was the impression I got. No, so so here, the person that he goes to, that who's making all the memories... That's the daughter, That's right? the daughter. Yeah. He's just yeah. has... She makes memories, and she used her memories and implanted them in... Oh, shit. Okay, okay. So he has so, yeah, her memories, yeah. and that's why he thinks that he's special. Yeah, so but he's not the actual brother from the orphanage. No, right? there is no brother. Because they said no. there's two. There never was. Okay. Yeah. So yeah, okay, the whole so... thing with that scene was because um, it was to help hide their tracks, and so they made two identical ones, and then one was real, one was fake, and then they said that the real one was dead and the fake one was still alive, but just somewhere missing. And oh, gotcha. So gotcha. like that was that was nobody. That was just a piece of paper, literally. And what the thing is is that she, since she's a memory maker. Uh, she wants to feel more alive. And I think in a weird way to try to make them feel more alive, she just put some of her own memories inside of some of these other replicants. And he happened to be one of the replicants that had one of her memories. Okay, cool, cool. I got you. I got you. Uh, him, uh, that, the guy, I can't even remember the name of the fucking Harrison Ford. Deckard. Played by Deckard. Harrison Decker, yeah. Uh, and his daughter are the only three that are non-assuming about who they are. Everyone else has a fucking superiority complex like a motherfucker in this movie. Like everybody else. And it's it, it's it's so fucking boring to watch. I don't know. I I actually I, I like it. 
not that I like them. I think that they're kind of shit heels. Um, but I think that's kind of the point is that they're supposed to be that shit heel thing. And like, I think the the most shit heel person is um, Willis. I think is his name. Is that the dude with the eyes? Yeah, the blind guy. <laughs> the guy with the eyes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah I didn't know if they were robot eyes or something. I figured I think, he could nah, see he's in just them. Blind, I'm pretty sure. He's blind, and he just he, has. He'd uh, never admit it. No, he wouldn't. That's that's the thing. He has the cybernetics <laughs> in him, so he doesn't technically ever have to be blind. He refuses to accept his limitations. I know people like him already. There's so. I think that's kind of the idea. Yeah. Yeah. It was that that I didn't like, but it sounds like it was supposed to be that way. So I appreciate it a little bit more. But it is kind of bland because the, the there's these people. You know what I I also thought was interesting though is there to me there were the two most human people in that entire movie was the daughter in the bubble mm-hmm. and the robot. I don't know, not a robot. The fucking where are they called? Oh, uh, the Joy. Joy? It might be yeah. Joy. The Was that the one that was working for the Dude of the Eyes? Oh, no. no. that's Love. Yeah. I'm so bad with names. Love. Love also felt very human because there was so much anger and this passion under this I'm not real and I'm not good enough, which really created a very strong, resounding feeling. But most of most of the people in this movie felt like robots. They didn't feel, I didn't feel like even the, the passion didn't seem very real. Those two characters felt human to me, though. There was no noodle guy this one for me to latch on to either. <laughs> the thing about Love's character is Love also had a uh, superiority complex. Was, Love, was that the hologram? No, Love was the one you were just praising. Joy's not the hologram. Joy's the hologram. No, Joy, no, the one who was working for the dude with the eyes that they the had that to fight. With the eyes is Love. The one that's working for the dude with the eyes is the dude I'm talking about. The girl. Oh, love. you're talking about Wallace then. God damn it. Uh, <laughs> okay. Okay. So the dude with the eyes who owns the company, right? That's Wallace. And he has that is Wallace. Okay, that's that girl. They had the fight in the water. Yeah, that's love. The girl that had the fight in the water, that's love. Okay, yeah. cool. Yeah. That's the one I'm talking about. <laughs> yeah. Her she also, she also had a superiority complex. Yeah, that's yeah, but it felt like real. It felt it felt very human. It was the I'm not good enough. I need to prove to everyone I can be better. Right. And it, it, it just the thing she would get super passionate about. And I could feel her anger and that nastiness, like in that resentment for humans. I could feel that. And that felt very human to me. And then the daughter in the bubble also felt very human to me. And they were, I think, two of the most um, there, there was I don't know. They, they, they felt very human and I didn't get that from anyone else in the movie. It didn't feel very human a little bit sometimes from Harrison Ford, but not also at the same time. I felt like when he had the conversation with Joe at the casino, like it was like a, a conversation humans are supposed to have. Like, <laughs> Hey, this is a, this is a human conversation. And just, I don't know. That's, that's my take. I don't know. I, I, I disagree, but I guess I can see where you're coming from. Cause, um, he's very stoic. K is Joe and doesn't really ever show who he is because honestly, he doesn't know who he is. Yeah. And I think that's was done very purposefully with K's character because with K's character, it's a lot of I'm just this one thing and nothing else like uh, so I'm more or less kind of a slave within the system and nothing else really matters. Yeah. Uh, The only connection he could ever find was the connection he had to literally buy. Yeah. Yeah. Also, that was interesting about that hologram was the that was such a fucking 
like the cherry on the top of, of the point because she is filled with so much emotion, every emotion she's supposed to be for Joe. And it was like the most fucking robotic thing. Yes. Even though everything about her felt so real, it felt so fucking fake. And when she was crushed, that venom from love, I'm guessing was, yes. was her name. Yes. Felt yeah. so fucking real. Yeah. Right. And that's, I, I really liked love's character because she was to, she, to me, she was human. This is a very human character in love. I also, again, like the daughter in the bubble. I, I honestly do think love is a really, really interesting character because in world doing my research again, there's, there's all these little short stories that they wrote and these little mini movies and short movies and episodes and even something I think that you would enjoy more than anything, E, there is an anime, a 17-minute anime episode that was a precursor to this that talks about the blackout, um, talks about what the blackout was and uh, everything that happened in it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was going to say, I did watch all three of the short films. Within that short amount of time, they do, once again, help add to the structure what is the foundation of the story. Yeah, like, it's it's a kind of a shame that there isn't a cut that just implements these things into the movie. It would be, again, a super fucking long movie. But even though those things aren't important, having the context really does build the world out so much more. Right. Uh, I was going to say it was one of those things, too. Like, uh, I think for me, while watching the movie, I knew that Kay wasn't the child throughout the entire thing. But the reason why I just had that belief that entire time is because I watched one of those short films, the uh, uh, Nowhere to Run. Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. Also, I assume that this name will mean something to you, E. Shinshiro Watanabe? Vaguely. He's the one who directed the uh, Blackout anime. What are some of the other works? Uh, he's done Cowboy Bebop. I know okay, that's one well, of them. Okay, well, there we go. <laughs> <laughs> I might check I, I say I might check that out. I don't know if I'm really that invested in the story at this point, though. Yeah, I mean, Cause that, I guess that's fair. You've, yeah. you've Even from the first one. Yeah, you weren't exactly invested. Really. <laughs> like the first one had me going mostly on just the visuals alone. Mm-hmm. And I can't even say the same for this one. I think the visuals are actually just a straight up downgrade. See, I disagree on that one. I think I love the way this movie looks. It just has, it's different. It, it's absolutely different yeah. from the original, but it feels so full and gloomy in its own way. And I love the way that in Vegas it's able to make the light feel so much darker than the dark. See, I the Vegas part is the best part for me, for the most part. Mm-hmm. It's mostly just the city's just gray and black, for the most part. There's yeah. a, a little yeah. bit of color. And just, it, it reeks of generic Hollywood dystopia. I think that's mostly it for me. It, lo- it doesn't visually strike out to me any different than a lot of other movies I've seen recently. I, I actually have the same argument he has. This is a very beautiful movie, but it's I've seen this movie before. I've seen this movie before through other visuals. When I watched Blade Runner, I'd never seen that before. You know? And, and I'm not saying there are visuals that are similar to Blade Runners, which I feel like that's okay because it's a continuation. So that wouldn't be used against it. But it just felt like I've seen this movie before in a different format. Beyond Blade Runner, I would have been okay if it was an, if it was a continuation of Blade Runner. Uh, I I think it's a very different movie from the first. I also know that no children want no child wants to be in the father's shadow, so I wouldn't do that to this movie either. Um, <laughs> but I I've, I've seen that's I got that strong feeling that 
I've seen this. This isn't anything new to me, what I'm seeing. I mean, I disagree. I think the sets are just gorgeous. Um, everything was built from scratch. It, they're all just huge, giant sets. Except for some of the outside scenes, which are real locations that they spruced up to look more shitty, like the uh, junkyard scene when he crashes his car into that. That's just a scrapyard that breaks containers apart. That's, that's what they filmed in. And they um, added the Mexico filter. The Mexico filter? When they just make everything, like, brown and orange. <laughs> so there are reasons behind those things, too. Uh, I'm kind of in the middle with that. I feel like, at least in L.A., it still felt like Blade Runner to me, but just more expanded and with a kind of a shiny paint of, or coat of paint on it compared to the original one. But it still felt like the world of Blade Runner with it whenever they were in the L.A. setting of it. Uh, the whole idea, like, um, I guess with, like, Las Vegas is, uh, to be fair, Las Vegas is built in the middle of a fucking desert. Oh, yeah. So things like sandstorms just happen. And so, like, they're trying to get that I, that feeling of a sandstorm, but also, like, that feeling of, like, nuclear fallout is what I was guessing. And then with the whole dirty bomb, with uh, one of the short stories, the animated one in particular, they set off all those dirty bombs uh, everywhere to kind of create a blackout everywhere. And I was just kind of assuming that Las Vegas was one of the, was one of the ground zeros. Yes. Where they had that happen, which is why I would just kind of, like accepted everything for what it was is like it was like oh this is you know a place of a nuclear fallout 30 years ago in the middle of a dust storm and i feel like they did that pretty well and i feel like once again i feel like they did la very well too and that was like like i said it felt like blade runner still just with a shiny coat of paint on it and then with say the junkyard that kind of just felt like a dystopian junkyard because i you know it's just one of those things that I, you can hear a lot of environmentalists say all the time too is that like we just keep on producing more and more and more trash and like whenever you see like those things where they show those giant junkyards to try to show the amount of human waste that gets thrown into junkyards it kind of just reminded me of seeing some of the are some footage like that yeah another thing that i don't think that the film by itself conveys very well is that it is nuclear winter um that's why it's constantly snowing and it's constantly dark is because nukes went off everywhere. There were dirty bombs everywhere. So it's always snowing. It's always dark. It's always gross and bleak now. Yeah, like I couldn't have grasped that. There's yeah. The most is just like, oh, hey, there's kind of some nuclear. Yeah, like there is seriously just two Passover mentions in the movie that there was a, like when he's going over to the office of Wallace's, there's mentions from the desk clerk basically like, oh, I remember the blackout. Where were you? And like, that's, Basically, all you get in the movie is talking about Blackout. Yeah. And I think the short Blackout does so much more. And they needed, to, they needed to fit a lot of that stuff into the movie to give a lot of it context, I think. So it is a shame that it's not in there. Well, I so mean, I'm okay with, with lack of context. As long as it's there in some visual cue or something, that's okay. I hate when a movie gets stuffed with too much information because that's the easiest way for me to not care about the movie. Because I really want to crack open the feeling of that movie more so. So if I get bogged down in detail, it actually makes me lose interest in the movie. Okay. I feel like the shorts for Blade Runner 2049 were very similar in a weird way to like the Animatrix, where they had like those short nine films to kind of build onto the world of the Matrix. And those all nine of those movies are just things that they just barely touch on in the actual movies. And then you get a broader sense of it and those little short films that they did it's funny you mentioned that robbie the guy who did the anime short for this one he also did one of the things for animatrix hey <laughs> <laughs> but yeah i don't know i i honestly really love the look of this movie and it is dark and bleak and gross most of the time but i think 
the oranges in everything. Like, I know that's such a weird thing to like cling to. Well, it's not even so much that it's orange. It's like a burnt orange too. Yeah. Orange and gold, man. It like they got that that gold too. They had the scene with the gold. Well, they had yeah, they weird. had the gold in Wallace's our uh, office to kind of show like he's uh, you know the uppity up because gold is a you know uh gold is a sign of the rich it's a sign of uh an upscale in a weird way and so and since he's pretty much i'm guessing within this world probably one of the richest men in the world if not the richest so right that's now. another thing i feel like they don't explain very well is wallace and how he came yeah. to his rise he is literally the richest man in the world because he saved the world yeah, there yeah, was yeah. a Intense, world syntax food or whatever. Yeah, there was a worldwide famine and he found a way to make fake food that was real food ultimately and make protein like out of what you see in the beginning of like the bugs and stuff like that. And then from that he went and took um the Tyrell. he took the bankrupt Tyrell organization because that's another thing he doesn't really explain that much in the movie is that the Tyrell corporation after Tyrell died went bankrupt and they just stopped making replicants and so whenever he took o- Wallace took over uh, started, you know, helping with the worldwide famine, and then he decided he's going to take over the Tyrells Corporation, and then he started making his own rep- or his own replicants, and he was trying to basically do what Tyrell did, but wasn't able to do it quite as well. Well, in some ways, he did better because his replicants did not have the function where they murder people. Well, yes. free they will. were totally fucking murdering people, though. I mean, <laughs> yeah. they totally could. They just now it was that they they someone else gave them the order to murder. Well, it's still fucking murder. <laughs> yeah. Whether you're doing it on your will or someone else's. Well, it it kind of goes along with like the thing of the movie too, where they tried to downplay it by saying like, "Oh, we're not we're not killing people. We're retiring replicants." Yeah, and I really like where he's like, "I've never retired anything that was birthed before. What's the difference?" Which I think is honestly like basically the statement of the entire first movie is like, "What's the difference? Everything acts human and is human." More or less. So, like, what's the difference between killing this thing that wasn't birthed and this thing that was? There's no difference. I, I think the the actual uh, line was, he goes, I don't think I've killed anything that was birthed before. It's almost like it can have a soul. And she's uh, his captain's like, are you telling me no? And he's like, I'm not aware that that was an option. Which goes to what you said the point of the movie is, that having your own choice, what is your own initial destiny. And also what you told me about Wallace, I think reinforces or Willis, whatever the fuck that guy's name is the dude with the eyes. <laughs> uh, yeah. So well, but that also, I feel like is a very strong, a strong case to make for if that is what the movie's about, because what you have just told me is that he fulfilled his initial use of saving the world, then spent the rest of his life in a fucking fucking jerking himself off. Yes, about basically. How, how he's the greatest. <laughs> yeah, how, yeah, exactly. And that's pretty. I feel like in a weird way, they probably had the perfect person to cast it in. Or as having Jared Leto play this role was probably one of the best people they could have cast with that because I feel like he kind of is up his own ass, anyways. Yeah. Yes, it's amazing you mentioned that. Um, I was watching a casting doc, and like the reason why they went for everything, like they went for Gosling, Ryan Gosling, the guy who plays K, immediately, literally, all the producers the director, screenwriters, they all had him in mind without ever talking to anybody. They all had a meeting like, that's exactly who I was thinking for the part. So, like, I'm kind of with them. I can't imagine Kay being played by anybody else. Like, another Harrison Ford. <laughs> but, like, he, he is perfect for this role. His acting style, like, without him, I don't think this movie would have fit nearly as well. You're gonna dislike this. I mix up Ryan Gosling and Ryan Reynolds. Uh, very different. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Was, was, has Very Gosling different acting been styles. Something I've seen. Yeah, Blue Valentine. 
Oh, that's not a very good uh, <laughs> example for me then. <laughs> you also hated that movie, but he was in that. Okay. I, I can't remember a single thing that happens in that movie, so I'll just have to take your word for it. And Ryan Reynolds plays Deadpool. Yeah. That's the that, very different acting styles. They look the same to me. <laughs> um, so, yeah, here's, here's something I was going to say. I actually spent, like, so when I first started watching the, the movie, like, it had this. I'll say one thing this movie definitely did for me. It made me realize how much I like Ryan Gosling. Because as soon as the movie starts, like, yes, he's perfect. I need, I literally was like, I need to watch all this man's movies. And I started going, I, I started going down the list of all the celebrities like that I like so much that I should just watch their movies, which is a very small list. I was like, yeah, Ryan, come on board, man. And I started watching it. And the more I got through, through the movie, I, I just my, my interest was becoming less and less. And so I started critiquing what I didn't like. And I was so sure it was something about Ryan Gosling. So I was like, so what, what if he doesn't fit this this character? And then so I started like and this is why I got confused on these questions, because there's a large portion where I was just analyzing Ryan Gosling on the stage. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, does does he fit this character? Does he not? And this was around the time that he was like fighting um Harrison Ford, oh, right? Yeah. It was like, does Harrison? I was like, maybe Harrison Ford uh, is 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 better for his role than Ryan Gosling is better for his. No, maybe I'm just biased. And then I was like, well, I don't know. And then it, it really clicked <laughs> because I finally came down to the conclusion that Ryan Gosling is really, I I, I mean, I'll say perfect. The, the role fits him. He makes that role real. What I realized what I didn't like about his role was how much the movie followed his role. And that really confused me because with the first Blade Runner, that movie pretty much followed Harrison Ford. But I think what clicked for one of the things I really did not like about this movie is I never felt with Harrison Ford that the movie was about Harrison Ford. And at some point, early half of this movie, I felt like this movie became about Ryan Gosling. Not not him, but his character, like it was revolving around him. And there was just it just I don't I don't know. It just it it it, it felt like for the the world that that they were in, it just it just pulled away from it somehow for me and just it just made it far more far less interesting following one person. Again, even though the fir- first Blade Runner technically did follow one person. I never felt like the first Blade Runner was about that character, but I had gotten to a point. I was like, well, this is, this is about Joe. Right. And that, I, that for some reason just made me not as interested. See, I think that's, I think that's interesting that you mentioned that because I think that that is very purposeful to go with the meaning of the story is it doesn't really feel like in the beginning that it's following him when you feel like he doesn't have a purpose. And then when he starts to feel like he has a purpose, that's when you start following him more. And then it stops following him once he realizes, oh, I don't actually have a purpose. I'm just here. And I have to make of that what I can make of that. It's nobody else's decision. And the movie stops following him so closely then and it starts going more towards Harrison Ford's story again. Well, see, and that's the thing. My interest started picking up at the end, too. I felt like with that change, and again, it, it may have just been a, a story decision. It really, it, it the movie just lost a lot of momentum for me. And so, for instance, the reason why I said, like, I'd rent it is because I was never able to pick up that same like investment in this as I did with the other one, which it felt like I was on a train, like blowing through the whole thing, you know? Yeah, I I can understand that. And I think a lot of that does have to do with the length. Um, I'm not going to say that the movie needs to be that long. I just personally like that it's that long. There is stuff that you could cut, but I just like the tone that it sets and the visuals that it shows me enough 
that I just liked that it was that long. Um, but I, I, I do understand the criticism about its length. Honestly, it also just might be the arc. I'm just kind of done with the archetypal hero story. And I felt like this is, I never felt like that with Harrison Ford. I never felt like he is the hero of this story. I always felt like there is a world much bigger than Harrison Ford. But following this movie, it felt like, and it even felt like it towards the end, that everything Ryan Gosling's character, every decision he made was inherently important because he was the hero of the story. And not even the scope, because we can debate what the scope is and uh, the point is about the scope of of his his role relative to how big the role is or not. It just that kind of story doesn't really interest me See, because I think, I've seen it so much. Yeah, I think that I think that's kind of the, the, the point of the movie, though, is like you fell into its trap, I think, um, of thinking like he's the hero because ultimately he's not the hero. The girl in the bubble is the hero. She's the real important thing. I think that's kind of not inherently true, though. And that's a story it's, point, but that's not how the framework of the, the movie works. I mean, it tricks you into thinking he's a hero, I think. Well, but I'm following the framework of the movie. So how the, the story establishes itself is what I'm going to follow. So if it frameworks him as the main thing, I'm going to follow him. Whether it's a story point or not, like, oh, and he learns he's not as important as everybody else. You know, it's still something that has that message has to go through him because I'm following him. I'm following his role through it, where most of the points I got for the first one wasn't actually through the main character. It was the things that happened around the character and how he felt about it or what his relationship to it was didn't really matter. See, I think that's where a second viewing really helps a lot in this one. I think it's a a perspective thing that changes really how the movie is viewed. And I I, I totally see where you're coming from. I, I totally do understand that. But just from where I'm from, I think the overall what the movie is rather than this, the ABC of the narrative ends up being far more important for me. I will probably sit down and watch this movie again. I think I have it for like three days on a rental. I was going to show uh case slice this movie, uh, but I don't think it's going to be fast enough to catch our interest. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, but I will check it out again and I'll let you know if my opinion on it changes. That's just currently what my opinion is. Yeah. I would be super interested movie. to see what you think of it after or if it's the same at all i would definitely be interested in hearing that um but yeah going back to the uh the casting stuff on it everybody like i said was way into ryan gosling and everyone's like it has to be him and then whenever denis villanueva was casting wallace he was like i need this guy who was into himself who thought he ruled the world who thought that he was everything that he ruled everything so of course i cast a rock star (laughs) which i think is perfect like he knew what he was doing with his casting yeah looking more into it like everything he did with his casting it seems super super purposeful in the best way possible like yeah that's why i was saying i think jared leto was probably the perfect person to play wallace as they were saying ryan gossing is probably the perfect person to play k and i'm probably gonna butcher her name and anna date armas the one who played joy in a weird way she was probably perfect for her role too as love was perfect for her role. Yeah, so... Uh, like, everybody just fit in their suit. Like, it felt like this movie, if there was a box of this movie, they did everything they could to fit every single piece into it perfectly. Yeah, like, this is something that I never really thought about um, with the casting of Joy. But Liz actually did sit down and, like, watch a little bit of us sit with us. And when Joy came on screen, she's like, oh my god, she is so cute and perfect and adorable. I love her. What yeah. else has she been in? Like, 
oh, wow, like, snap, clicked in my head. Like, that's exactly the reaction they wanted from that character. They wanted you to think, this is perfect. Yeah, and that's the thing is, like, uh, the person, the girl who plays Joy, she is hands down the most attractive woman in this entire movie. And I feel like that was very much purposefully done. Like, she just has that. If somebody was going to build a bot that was supposed to be like the yes. perfect wife or the perfect girlfriend. <laughs> yes. It would have been her with her looks and her mannerisms. Yes, exactly. I, I think I missed that point because I'm literally living a world that's oversaturated with this emphasis on perfection. So when she <laughs> came on, when it came to just like, I thought that she, she was a very boring character and that she caught me off guard a little bit with how like much emphasis emphasis she had like emotionally and how meaningful and then i detected that pattern and then she became very boring to me too like oh yeah this is just your function i think it's very purposeful that the most human feeling characters are the ones that we know are the most fake like i feel like joy is the most human feeling character and the most easy to empathize with and ultimately she's she's not really she's a trick (laughs) essentially well, but the one time that she was the most human is when she told that prostitute that she was done with her as if she yes, was just some yeah. item that she brought in. So that was nice to just see a little bit of actual human well, nastiness, I guess. <laughs> that was part of it. There were there were a couple different very human parts to her. Like there was that or like whenever she told him to um, destroy the antenna to the house so they can't get into her memories and make them tell them what she knows about him and so on and so forth and get into her memory bank. And so like he says, like, but then if I lose this, then you're just then you're uh, then you're gone. She's like, yeah, like a real girl. And so it was her way of feeling more human to feel more mortal that way. And then also like whenever she knew she was going to die towards the end and the last thing she tells him is I love you before ultimately dying. uh, Those are probably the most human moments that she had throughout the entire thing, even if they were programmed within her psyche. Uh, I don't know if the, the, I love you when she died was the most human thing. I think that was her being like, time for me to shine as a human. What would a human do in this moment? <laughs> I love you. But I was more encapsulated with the look at you. You're you're less than me. I'm going to crush you under my heel while saying something extraordinarily cheesy. But at least I feel it from uh, what was it? Love. Yeah, I did that. Yeah, I was that. That was what what captured me. And I, I don't mean to put an emphasis on so much nastiness human motion because i feel like something that's really beautiful is the simplicit purpose in this world so obsessed with being better than everything else of just reuniting a father with his daughter and the simplicit importance very much more meaningful than the fucking army of i keep keep on calling them fabricators uh, <laughs> <laughs> replicas <laughs> Replicators, what are they called again? Replicants. Replicants. <laughs> that that they're like, we're more than human. Time for us to rise up. It's like that doesn't that means nothing. That's the same game humans have been playing their entire fucking existence. Just doing what humans fucking do is boring. <laughs> and uh, just just the you know, seeing your daughter again as has more substance and is so fleeting and so much it's supposed to be so much less important than these big concepts and yet it feels more human you know it it actually feels like in that little moment there is more inherent purpose than these gigantic i'm the supreme one time to bring back our rights into this world as the the replicants over the humans and it's like well i mean you guys are playing the same fucking game one of the things you brought up here uh and talking about supremacy is the dichotomy between love and k 
Kay has told her entire life how important and amazing she is, and she has to fulfill her destiny. And so she fights so hard to do that, and ultimately she she's nothing. She really is just a tool. And whereas Kay has told his entire life that he means you nothing. You said Kay both times. Oh, uh, sorry. Yeah, you said Kay and she. Oh. But yeah, you, um, I, I know what you meant with, uh, it was love yes. who was told that she was important and that uh, she had this big mission and that she had all these things to do. Yeah, and even when Kay meets love, he's like, oh, wow, he named you. You must be important. And she's like, yeah, I am important. And she just, she has this air of supremacy to her. And then with Kay... But not really, though. You could tell she's very insecure. Oh, she's extremely she insecure. Is. Yeah, yeah. You know, so she doesn't actually... She She's trying to be more, but she's not. She feels at the end of the day she's just a robot or a replicant. Which she had this like feeling to me of someone who's an athlete, honestly. Because, like, an athlete would be the kind of person... Like an Olympic, like, you know, I'm saying like an Olympic level athlete of someone who they have to keep pushing themselves and they have to keep going forward and they have to keep proving to themselves that they're better than everyone else around them. And she kind of had, like Dry would say, like that air of supremacy of her, like she has that chip on her shoulder that like maybe she's not better than everyone else, but she has has the feeling that she needs to prove to everyone that she's better than everyone else. Yeah, she's constantly proving to herself. Yeah. And there's a lot of real human emotions uh i mean it's literally the emotions you don't want you don't want to be in love's <laughs> position yeah. you know but in comparison to even her maker at least she felt real you know yeah but i mean i think that's an interesting economy between love and k is they're basically polar opposites and the way that they handle figuring out the truth about themselves and what they really are and how they deal with it i think it's just really interesting is k the one without the eyeball <laughs> god damn it no k is our main character joe oh you're joking um, oh i was calling him joe yeah he, I mean, joe. he goes by joe as well yeah okay okay frasia was the one without the eye or was the one without the eye okay so if i remember correctly there's so many characters i think rocky's talking about the blind man correct me if i'm wrong no there's also one a, a okay, woman okay. without an eyeball that yeah, is that's like Frasia. head of yeah frasia the head of the rebellion was I supposed to know who she was, actually, is the question. Um, there is, like I said, those three short films beforehand go more oh, into okay. her history. But besides that, uh, just knowing that she was part of a rebellion and part of the blackout and that she wants to create another rebellion is really the important thing that you get. Okay, I didn't know if she was from the first movie or what. No, no, she's not. I felt like one of the most prolific things said in this movie came from probably one of the most ignorant people in the movie, too. And that was the police captain when she said, there is a wall and this whole thing is built on this wall. And if people find out that the wall doesn't exist, that's when the slaughter happens. And it's like, it's very clever of you to to see that all this is built on a wall, this us versus them. But the problem is the fucking wall, that there's this belief that there's this difference, that, yeah. that one has to be, you know, different. And so I, I thought that that was very prolific of her, even though she was blind to the a, a truer point to that, that she was actually caught up in the, the blind fighting at the wall. Yeah, I think that uh, fits more into the overall narrative of purpose more than anything as well. I, don't, I think it's mostly just speaks to like, I wouldn't say purpose, more just the ideas of like racism and prejudice in general. Because like the reason that people have to build this wall is so they can justify treating the this people the replicants as slaves once they remove that wall because uh it goes to what um wallace says at a point where he's like 
we stopped being so productive because we stopped using slaves. And I think it's kind of because, like, I don't know if they're specifically only talking about the replicants, but I got the idea he's talking about when we used African-Americans as slaves. Oh, he was talking about literally every slave ever. Yeah, that's fair. He probably goes back even further to, like, the Egyptian slaves and how they, they say they built the pyramids or, like, how black slaves basically built what America is today to... Uh, in this fictional world to where replicants built the world or uh, were the slaves that built the world that they live in today. That's what he was saying is that we became less productive whenever we weren't or uh, whenever we started our uh, had morality about slaves. But uh, we tend to think about it less when they're manufactured. Yeah, he is very much a the ends justify the means. Yeah. And he is so much caught up in which is the only satisfying thing, because if there's anyone who's actually a slave to that ideology, it's him. Yes. It's, oh, yeah. he, it's he's going to spend the rest of his life. Fucking, I have to be... Uh, I have to be just, better than Tyrell. No, even the way he fucking speaks is so fucking stupid. Yes, yeah. yes. It's very purposeful. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I think that message is in there as well. I, th- I mean, I think that's why Blade Runner is so good, because it's not, it's not just the one thing. It's 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 a lot of stuff, and it, it builds on each other, and it, it can mean, and it does mean so many different things. I think that's why it's so good, and why I ultimately end up loving it so much. Um, but to backtrack to something that we were talking about when we first started is saying that like this feels very much like a Hollywood dystopia. I would I would disagree with that because I like I said, I really do love the way that this this looks. And they worked really hard to honor the memory of Blade Runner without just copying Blade Runner. They wanted to advance it while still paying homage. And ultimately that came at the price of Villanueva, the director actually straight up telling Ridley Scott one day, like, you have to leave my set. So this is the the verbatim story that he told is, during filming, Villanueva asked Ridley Scott to leave the set once. He said, I made a joke. I said to him, hey, Ridley, who's your favorite director? And he said, I love Ingmar Bergman and Kubrick. And Villanueva said, I love Bergman too. So, Ridley, how would you feel if you were on set directing and you had Bergman just behind you? And Ridley burst out laughing and he walked off the set. And that was during a scene where Villanueva was trying to direct Harrison Ford. He's like, no, it, it doesn't work if you're here trying to micromanage my directing of this. Like, you cannot be here while I'm trying to create something. Ridley Scott gave him full um, full leeway to do anything he wanted with it after that. It's like, okay, I get it. Like, I'm, I am in your creative way. I may not agree with you, but I can't, I can't just sit here and watch you do this and try and micromanage this thing. And I think I think that's great. So I, I feel like it isn't just like a by the numbers kind of like setting of like just dystopia. I feel like he really did put his own voice into it. Yeah. And that was why I also what I said earlier, no child wants to be compared to the, the parent. That's why why I rate this movie for has nothing to do with the first Blade Runner. So if there's something that even looks like the first Blade Runner because it's technically built off of it, I just I'm like, that's that's still your own thing. You're still your own creature. Um but I still stand with E. I, when I watched this movie, it, I felt like I'd seen it before. I mean, I don't know if it was from other Hollywood dystopias, but it just didn't feel new. It didn't feel like its own thing. If it makes you feel any better, a lot of what Hollywood does as dystopias is actually kind of built off of what they did with Blade Runner. But that's a solid point because I'd seen these movies and I still watched Blade Runner afterwards and it still felt like something I'd never seen before. Even though all these movies had in somewhere or another, you know, copied that similar format. I think in one weird way, like the original Blade Runner, it did a really good job of like 
copying like i guess not copying showing what like a corporate dystopia would be because like the thing about the original blade runner is like it's everything's dark and bleak and covered with grime but there's also all these advertisements everywhere and there was like there was advertisements for like a bunch of different companies in this one but it wasn't quite as like forward facing and like kind of trying to cover the grime as the original movie was at least in my opinion yeah yeah um so here's a fun fact i'm gonna throw in here real quick it it involves the wooden figures there's two things with this the wooden figures with deckard when you see that he has very specific wooden figurines that he uh has carved the animals that he carved were a rhino an antelope a cat a horse an elephant a lion and when you take the first letter of all of those, it spells Rachel, which is just kind of a cute little weird thing. <laughs> I'm not sure. I did not notice that. Yeah. I don't know how intentional it is. A rhino is an interesting choice because a lot of people think rhinos are one of the original reasoning behind the unicorn. Like it was a weird misinterpretation of the descriptions of a rhinoceros. I could see that. Like a lot of the like really weird, crazy fantasy creatures that we see is... Uh comes from people who went from like Rome or Englanders, like, you know, one of those civilized places and then went to places like Africa and saw the new crazy things there. And when they tried to describe it to people, when they came back, uh, when they gave the artist a description of what the, or what they looked like, you got these really weird, crazy looking chimera creatures out of it. <laughs> but yeah, I think, uh, another thing I was going to say with the wooden figures on the horse that is throughout the entire movie, there's one scene where you see it with a shadow coming off of it onto the desk, and it looks like there's a unicorn on the shadow. And then also on the front of it, if you take a look, there's a weird, like, cracked piece on its head where it looks like a horn used to be. So it still keeps that that unicorn through line, but also gets rid of the mysticism of the unicorn. It's not this big, great thing. It's, it's a fucking horse. Another thing uh, that kind of plays into it was, like, whenever he... Um, whenever Kay goes to visit Deckard... And I was like, oh, you have a dog. So, yep. Is it real? Does it really matter? And so it just kind of go like it kind of plays onto the whole thing. And then also with uh, whenever he talks to Wallace and he says, like, you were manufactured or maybe you weren't. And like kind of he doesn't know if Deckard's a replicant or not throughout the whole thing. And that was one of the big questions of the original film was, is Deckard uh, a replicant or not? And in this movie, it kind of in a weird way asks or just answers that question by saying does it really matter yeah another thing by the way since we're talking about that earlier in the movie whenever k is like investigating this line of like people that used to know deckard and everything um he goes and talks to the guy who did the origami in the first movie same actor by the way Gaff. yeah and the origami he makes is of a sheep the androids dream of electric sheep <laughs> yeah it's just a fun little reference i think um also yeah. when he's talking to him he's like i don't know he was just different he's like what do you mean different he's like i don't know it was something in his eyes which I think is a another cute reference to the eye thing from the replicants in the first movie. Much, do they even do that in this one? No. Yeah. No. I thought not. The only thing they do with eyes in this one is uh, Wallace's eyes. Honestly. Well, in the uh, in the scene where uh, Wallace recreates Rachel mm-hmm. and Decker's like, "You got their eyes wrong, you fucking idiot." Oh, you got her eyes wrong. Her eyes are green. And they're like, "Fuck!" <laughs> Basically, yeah. and they just kill her. And they actually kept that scene a secret. They had minimal crew. They straight up lied to press when they asked if she had any involvement in it. Oh, they said no. And the actress was like, and if I'm not in that movie, I want fans to boycott, which (laughs) maybe 
that was a bad thing to do <laughs> with the movie. <laughs> I mean, technically she was in it. Yeah, she was. And like she knew she was in it. She went to set. But it was just their way of trying to keep something secret in that whole thing. Which I think maybe ultimately backfired. <laughs> Sounds like everything backfired in this movie for one way or another regarding that stuff. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, another interesting thing about this, by the way, since we have talked about runtime a lot in this, which I think the runtime is important to mention. It's fucking long. When Villanueva was asked about, like, the first Blade Runner infamously had, like we talked about last time, all those insane cuts that changed a bunch. He was asked, like, hey, like, in a few years, are you going to have a cut? Like, nudge, nudge, are you going to have, like, a final cut or director's cut? He's like, no, no, I'm not, I'm not going to do that. He's like, at one point, there was a four-hour version of this movie. And Jesus. Yes. He's like, but... Ultimately, the, what happened with that is it was four hours, so we decided to cut it in half and make two movies. He's like, when we did that, they both felt like two movies that stood on their own. And if I'm going to do that, I'm just going to cut some time off and make one movie. And so that's ultimately what he did. And he said, there's never going to be another cut of this movie because this is my cut. This is exactly what I want the movie to be. I think that's kind of great. He got, he got the options that Ridley Scott never did to start with. Also, the way this movie starts with going to the farm and confronting that guy in the fight scene. Uh, Ridley Scott originally wrote that for the first movie. That's how the first movie was supposed to start. And then he decided that tonally it was kind of weird, so he did the noodles thing instead. Which, clearly it worked, because that was E's favorite part of the movie. Listen, just because the noodle guy has the best character... <laughs> that's a man that knows his destiny and his purpose. Yeah. I feel like they did something interesting with the noodles, which kind of shows, like... It, it was very important to kind of show how Kay like showed that he felt like he didn't matter in a weird way, but in a weird like in a weird way, Joe made him feel felt like he mattered uh, in the early part of the movie. Whenever he goes and he makes him, he makes himself some noodles, and they're like the most bland looking gelatin noodles possible. Yeah. And then there's just a hologram of a steak with some potato with a nice like baked potato and some veggies on the side. Excuse and, you as French uh, fries. <laughs> But like, I thought it was kind of funny how they did that for uh, that's the only thing noodle wise I've noticed about this movie, at least. But I thought it was interesting how they did that. Yeah, it's it's really nice. It also adds that little human flair to to joy as well. Also, I thought that something about Joe's character, because he he does uh, fit stoic, like you said, Jariah. Also, I felt like at the end, he wasn't stoic as much as just this dude. Yeah. Right. Like. And I felt like that, again, it goes into the, the what roles are superior to others. And for him, he had to be the stoic with the fucking cigarette in his mouth. And that was the image. And also, I felt like that was also the problem with that conversation he first had with Harrison Ford. It just did not feel like a, it didn't. It, it was a. it was like they both were doing good acting. It just felt off like there was just something like it wasn't a real human like they they weren't actually making a connection by any means um so that's another point that i wanted to shoot your guys's way i don't know i don't i don't feel like they didn't have a connection i feel like they were just very much people that i mean harrison ford is in this thing to where his entire life he's been having to run away and run from everything and then here's this guy making him face it and he doesn't want to talk about any of it and i think that's why there's that line of like i thought you were better than this or whatever like i thought you'd didn't bullshit around like that you got to the point that you were better than that more or less i can't i don't remember the exact line but like i feel like that's when it clicks over and becomes a different conversation and becomes more personal yeah but it also felt like they're playing roles like it still felt like this is how 
this person's supposed to sound. Like, I, I didn't believe, like, I was listening to that person being that person. I was listening to someone trying to fit a role. But not that it wasn't like an acting issue again. It was it was literally like like a like and that's the reason I don't know if it was meant to be that or not, because I don't know if it was just a design flaw of the story arc that everything they built just didn't make this moment believable or if it was meant to. Well, these people are still playing roles. And that was the issue that I had. Robbie, I know that you're about to make a point. I didn't mean to interrupt you. Oh, no, it's fine. I was letting you uh, make your point first. Um I didn't feel that way about that scene, but I think it's kind of one of those Ryan Gosling probably had a view of what he was supposed to be, because if anything, Ryan Gosling was probably as a replicant was somewhat based off of Deckard because they always talked about Deckard in the original movie being one of the best Blade Runners. So if they're going to make a replicant Blade Runner, they're going to make it based off of one of the best Blade Runners that ever lived. But also, I think they tried to go for like somewhat of an awkward feel for that scene just because it was almost like, you know, a man who just realized that he was born and that he or yeah, who just like felt like for that scene in particular, we know later on that's not the case, but for that scene that he was born and that he had a father and a mother. And for the first time in his life, he's meeting his father. And there's that awkward sense of meeting your father for the first time and him not being what you expected him to be. I definitely got so, the awkward. It did feel. Yeah. Awkward. And I, I was going to say, and like, in a weird cue of that, like, I think in a weird way, that scene kind of meant more for me. But that's only because, like, as you guys know, I grew up in a single parent household. I saw my dad whenever I was at 20, and that was probably equally awkward. Like, there was still a bit more bonding that ended up happening in that conversation that me and him had in real life. But that initial start to it, wherever it was just awkward and like, 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 cut the bullshit, dude. What do you like? What do you want? Kind of thing. Like, there was that same feeling. So I feel like they did in a weird way. I felt like that scene for it being awkward and out of place made it somewhat perfect. Yeah, honestly, I feel like you nailed it. Yeah, it could be that I just don't understand the uh, how that's supposed to feel. It did. It did seem off to me, though. But again, what I'm just trying to say, it wasn't them. They're back and forth that it just it was them that fell off with me. You feel like the script, like the movie didn't earn that moment or something? No, it was just the roles. It didn't seem because I, I was there and I was literally just like picking it apart because that was the part where I was like, there's something I do not like about this acting. Uh, and I was trying to figure out what it was. And it just it didn't feel it didn't feel sincere. But again, not from an acting standpoint. It was just I didn't feel like the build up to that moment was right. Like it was the wrong character analysis for that moment. And that was that was started to become a critique is like everybody in this fucking movie is trying to fulfill a, a role. Right. And then I just started grading the people by how off their role was. And I was like, that person's rolls off, that person's rolls off. And that was where I kind of established this theme of superiority, like which which roles were superior to others and stuff. And that was the reason why I still don't know if it was supposed to be that way. If I just misunderstand the scene, because, again, I'm just a dude watching a movie you know, thinking about Ryan Gosling. So there's, you know, <laughs> got Ryan Gosling on the brain. So <laughs> it could entirely be me. That would probably be what it is, but I, I don't know. I feel like you totally understand what the movie's going for, and maybe you just weren't into it, honestly. Man, I gotta go. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it, it almost feels like, and I guess this is the way that I'm looking at it too. It seems like you had an idea in your mind what this movie was gonna end up like. As you're watching it, you're like, oh, this is probably good. Like, this would be generic if this happened or something. And then whenever it did happen, you were 
somewhat disappointed. Like you wanted to be surprised like you were in the first movie, but you weren't quite as surprised. I want to be sold. I, I like movies that change me in some way. So I, I try not to anticipate too much. Um, so that, I, that wasn't the thing. Like I wasn't anticipating. It was just, I started getting this strong feeling like, like these, these, these roles, like the people are like stepping out of their roles every now and then. And I'm becoming unconvinced of the, the roles they are playing, you know? And that was why it was so hard. Cause there was this point of just confusement. Cause I, I was like, I'm watching Ryan Gosling fucking killing it. And there's just still something off. And so that's why I started like doing like a psychoanalysis on like literally everything. <laughs> yeah. So also that could have been it. It could have been I wasn't focusing on that scene the way that I needed to be. Um, I mean, I don't know. I don't know. I, I just didn't really like it. I mean, sometimes no matter what you just there's a there's a feeling that this doesn't feel right. You're, everything in your head tells you like this is perfect. This is amazing. And then just something doesn't feel right for you. And I think it's that kind of this kind of story or that kind of scene is going to be different for everybody. Yeah. Also, I guess with you explaining it a bit more, it almost it makes me think of someone who looks at a painting and, you know, they see the overall painting and like the beauty of it. But then they can't. Uh, but for some reason, the perspective is off or the colors are off for them. And so they can't enjoy it as much because they're psychoanalyzing the angle of the way that this person is standing or the color of this person's shirt in the painting. You know what? Maybe this movie just successfully established in my head this feeling of none of this is real. And it just established it so much it destroyed. <laughs> maybe. This, you know, like maybe they successfully did that. I don't know. Ultimately, I think I think what the original Blade Runner and this one succeeds in the most. And I think the director of this one kind of nails it. Villanueva says that ultimately Blade Runner is this big, giant, epic, huge world that you couldn't possibly fathom. And it has these very small, intimate stories that are told within it. And so it makes these very small, intimate moments feel so much bigger and important than they ever feel in the real world. And I think that's ultimately what Blade Runner is. It's a very small, intimate thing that doesn't feel small and intimate in a way. I don't know. It's its its own IP that I don't, I don't think that same feeling can quite be replicated. I think that if a screenwriter or director who just wanted this world had taken over i think i I think if i wrote this movie it would be worse why (laughs) (laughs) like there in my head like there's a version of this movie that all of the replicants do like overthrow everybody and there's this big gigantic climax and explosions everywhere and like that's how the movie would end and like i'm glad that it's not that but i feel like there's a version that could be that that could easily become that and I think that it takes a lot of self-control from the creators to be like, let's not do this thing that's been set up and let's tell this much more intimate thing. And there is something very unintimate, unintimate about the overthrow because that's just literally just like the the creative, self-righteous ejaculation. Just, <laughs> yeah, I deserve this. Yeah. You know, and like, um, I don't know. I, I think there is there even in this movie, there is something very deep. My relation to it, that feeling of just this whole thing just feels off. It it was like a very artsy kind of feeling. It wasn't like it wasn't like a this is just a shitty fucking movie. I was I was getting agitated watch like watching that scene with him and uh uh with him and his dad at the time or who he thought it was his dad. It was like, see, this is how this is supposed to feel. But you like it was feeling like like it was just like off because it, it was like two characters like this is how this is supposed to feel. And it's like, but this hasn't really been established. I think, yeah, maybe that was done well. I don't know. 
I don't fucking. <laughs> to something that Dry said too about how uh, you know if there's this huge rebellion and like uh, in a weird way replicants ended up overtaking humanity and becoming the new humans, uh, that would kind of destroy the message in a weird way. It's kind of the same thing with the original movie. Like in the original movie, uh, Roy was it right? Yeah, the lead replicant. Yep, yep. Like, say in another version of the this film, he actually finds you know, the cure, or he finds the cure for his short lifespan. And he actually, if anything, lives longer, maybe he becomes immortal. Maybe he finds another way to make other replicants live forever. And they become the new humans in the original movie. That would have changed the overall message of that movie too. I'm actually glad you brought it back to that. Cause I was actually wanting to say, did anyone else notice that Roy was the anti equation to Joe that Roy went all his life living to the max. I feel like Joe never lived a moment in his life. Yeah. That the yeah. most alive he was is when he exploded, when he found out that, that he wasn't who he that thought he was. he wasn't, was. yeah. He wasn't just a slave to the system. Uh, he also smiled at Harrison Ford at the end. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. It just felt like something from a very depleted person. I really love the ending of that movie. That entire snow scene with him just sitting on the snares, stairs and laying down. And you just see that small grin cover his face when he passes away. It feels like he's finally done something that means something. Even if he wasn't the big star of it all, really. He wasn't He wasn't the guy. He, I feel like maybe he felt like he finally had purpose. I know, but it's just like it did. But I watched that and it just didn't feel there's nothing there. It was like, and this is where the body dies in the snow. Just as it's supposed to be. Meanwhile, Roy's over here screaming like a fucking animal, losing his shit. Yeah. Like, Roy, what the fuck are you doing? And I don't know. I just feel I feel like that that quest for purpose is so the antithesis of of actual life that it turns everything into these robots. And it always comes up to the one summation. What's more important than others or what's more important? What's less important? This value system that everyone gets caught up in what's the slave what's the master what's the you know what what is bigger what is smaller like that it it gets caught gets caught up in the same little knot of i feel like for me like throughout my entire life i had always like wondered what i'm here for what's the point of me being here like am i just am i just basically this npc in life like what what is my point am i just going to be doing this for the rest of my life and like working in this grocery store and like what is the thing that I've done that's so great that like makes it to where the reason why I'm alive? What's my reason for being alive? And like ultimately that's like not that's not the point. There's not like one specific goal that you're alive for. It's it's live your life. Live your life to the happiest you can be to the extent that you want to be happy and just be happy. And I think that that's like that's why I like this movie so much because I think it conveys that message like you can just be you and you don't have to have this big destiny and this big purpose. If greatness happens, if you do a great thing and a great thing happens, you don't have to be built from greatness. I don't think Joe ever got that though. I don't think even in the end he just he he, he in the end he aligned with the fight that mattered most to him. But I feel like he spent his whole life being a robot. He didn't know what to be besides that where Harrison Ford spent his whole life trying to be human. In the end, he found out he was a robot, and he finally was liberated when he realized what's the difference. Felt like Joe was a robot. He didn't know how to be fucking what humans supposed to be. He got caught up in the 
God, the wall is such an amazing symbolism for this movie because literally every single person, except I like what Harrison Ford, when that dude was, when he was talking to the guy with the eyes, uh, Wallace, <laughs> and he was, he's like, doesn't it scare you that you were designed this way, that every thing that you did was manipulated? And he, Harrison Ford was just this, just this person who's lived life. He's like, obviously, you've never had kids. Like, it was just like, <laughs> yeah, maybe, maybe I'm a much smaller person, but this, this shit doesn't matter to me. You're the one who's caught up in this fucking what if I'm being manipulated? What if I'm not, not trusting my own innate, the things that are most innate to me? And I feel like Joe experienced what all these people were wrapped up in this wall that his commander caught. And I don't feel like he ever, I'd like to think maybe on the stairs, maybe he did. And I'll, I'll give that the movie makes me care about this point too, which I think is, this is why I said the movie's definitely a rent, by the way. I, I don't, I'm not saying it's a bad movie, but um, that's, that's, I don't, I don't know if he ever did. I don't know if he ever got to unbind himself from that fight that everyone else was bound to in one way or another. I, I, from my perspective, I feel like he did. Um, but I think maybe that's also a hopeful thing of, I think depending on your perspective, the movie either ends on hope or on, on degradation. Um, for me, I, I, I have a hopeful point of view towards it. And so I feel like he did, he eventually did get through that. That wall's fucking terrifying, by the way. <laughs> thinking, about, thinking about, thinking about all these characters in the movie is like walking through the uncanny valley. It's just, <laughs> fucking anxiety inducing if, if if the first movie like raised a passion in me for a second this movie like put its fucking thumb on it it's like living in a world full of mannequins i don't know i like i said i feel like they're perfect companion pieces i feel like knowing they both exist you can't have one without the other i feel like they build upon each other so perfectly but that's my my point of view on it you have anything to say about this? You, you you've been pretty quiet this episode. I mean, I told, I I just think the movie's boring. There's not a lot I can really describe of how I think it's boring. He has broken from the wall. It doesn't matter the <laughs> meaning of this movie. He, he knows innately that it's boring, and that's the goddamn point. Well said. <laughs> yeah. Uh, one thing I see. So like. You said you guys are talking about how the AI girl kind of feels real. I think she the. By like how she's supposed to be all like caring and stuff, she feels more like an AI to me. I think some of that's just because I come from like a video game background, and the point of video games is to keep you invested. Mm-hmm. So in a in like dating sims and waifu sims, I guess is the <laughs> best term. Like the point is you want it to f- feel like it cares for you, but it can't be too human because that will throw people off. <laughs> yeah. It, Humans have negative emotions too, and you don't want that from your feel good and give us money game. (laughs) So, like, the more it's like that, the more it just feels like an AI to me. And from a movie perspective, I feel like she really just exists so they could be like, "Ha, she's dead. Don't you feel bad?" See, I don't, I don't get that feeling at all from it. I feel like it's, it's a fake out, really, because like. It depends on how you end up dropping on that, because I think it also depends on the person whether you think that she does have her own her own life and own personality. I think I drop on the point of she is a product, and ultimately I think that's what that line does. Like, I hope you're a satisfied customer. Like, she, it's a product. This thing was invented for this reason, and so like I feel like it depends on where you drop on that line of whether you buy into she's her own individual or whether she is just this AI that was built for this reason or not. I, I think she will. I think there was probably 
something in her that wanted to be human because there are certain things, idiosyncrasies that, that you would catch every now and then. And I feel like when she said, you know, I hope you're satisfied with this product, it's just like, just it's just cruelty, literally, a, a moment of supremacy. I've conquered you, and before you die, hey, guess what? You were yeah, a product. I, yeah, I felt like whenever Love said, I hope you're satisfied with our product, that was her way of just saying fuck you to him. Yeah, it could be that too, but like, I don't know. I'm I'm on the side of like, I I think the movie plays a really good trick of making her feel human, and she's just not. I mean, I just straight up think she's not. I feel like the love that Kay had for her was real, of course. Oh, yeah, I do like, think that's that, just yeah. a thing. I just don't really, I don't know, I don't really care for her because she just feels like the AI companion that's supposed to make you feel so oh so happy and oh so lovey-dovey. Yeah. I, of course. I think that's kind of the oh. idea of seeing her at uh, whenever he sees her towards the end of the movie and like that giant hologram version of her. She's just like, it's like, oh, hey, look at you, handsome. I think I'll call you Joe kind of thing kind of shows that she is just more or less a product in a fake out in a way. A personality so sweet. It makes you want to shoot yourself in the face. (laughs) (laughs) I bet a bunch of it does just have to do with the fact that I don't care about romantic stuff. So like, I mean, cause like when you were talking about how Liz was talking like, Oh, she's so cute. I like, I didn't have that at all. That was not a thought in my head. See, yeah, I you just I mean, this is you were talking. Yeah, about, no, you. that's my point. Like, I didn't care for that because that's just not how I think. <laughs> I just it's not a thing I care about. Just a different being. E. Yeah. E is the person of the future. We are talking yeah. to a future person. Here. <laughs> I, I, I do. The... I do. I see E and I'm like, this is how a lot of people are going to be like. As ty- you're like the first in like millions to come, <laughs> I mean, yeah, but in a good way. You're still your own <laughs> unique individual, but like, you know, <laughs> I would like I, I feel like a lot of the uh, opinions that you have are, um, I think, are going to be become more common as time goes by. So I, it didn't. It never really. I I kind of get. It, I kind of don't because I mean I saw her and I just saw you're supposed to be a perfect person. You are fucking. Boring. <laughs> yeah, kinda. You're living. You're living a cursed life. But anyway, yeah, we should get I on get, to our final thoughts yeah, here. I guess I'll just continue since and go into. It. Yeah, it's just a bunch. Of, it's just I don't care much for the movie. I just think it's boring. I think all of the good parts of the movie are carried by the original. Quite honestly, I don't think the. I think every almost. All the stuff is a downgrade. The one thing I don't think is a downgrade is it doesn't have a gross rapey scene <laughs> and it doesn't try to push this like half-baked romance. This movie had the balls to be like, this is a romantic relationship. You don't even need to see the start of it because it doesn't matter. <laughs> and I'm cool with that. I usually am like, oh, you could have probably shown that. I'm fucking cool with that because they clearly have shown that it doesn't. They're not great at it. I know it's a different director, but <laughs> like just, just boring for the most part for me. I've, I already have my clear views on destiny and stuff. I just don't care for that. And ultimately I'll still give it a positive read. I'll still give it a six, but most of that is once again, carried by the backbones <laughs> of its, of its predecessor. I disagree. E, but I'll fight to the death. You're right to have that opinion. <laughs> okay. Let's go over to Robbie. I, I agree with Dry on this, wherever uh, this movie just kind of adds on to like where I said the first one was a flawed masterpiece. It's almost as if it was one part of a painting and this is a broader spectrum of that same painting. And I 
I did enjoy the movie. Uh, I want to say a nine. I would, I would, I would border on a ten, except for the sole factor that, like, what I've told you guys before, usually it's like uh, a movie that makes me think a lot, and a movie that kind of gives me a lot to think about after I've seen the movie is part of my rating system. I think that's probably what keeps me from giving it a 10, but I'd give this movie a nine. Like I really did enjoy it. Like with the first movie and this movie combined, it just makes it all a better viewing experience. And on to Rocky. Uh, I never got to say the fight scene and the water was dope. Um, <laughs> and I give the movie an eight. <laughs> yeah, we never did talk about it's a, that. <laughs> that was a dope fucking scene. Yeah, um, that's cool. also when he broke that, that dude's that was. neck. Was a dope scene too. Um, I give it an eight. I don't know. I'm I, I go between an eight to an eight point five. I don't know. There's this movie just it didn't. It's a good movie, but it it just didn't have that gun smoke for me. Just that getting caught into the magic. Just that click when you know this movie is exactly what it's supposed to be. Uh, I didn't have that. I didn't have that, and I do think it was the time. I do feel like it. It, it was just drawn out. Like I would see scenes that just. It didn't really it, it every scene told a story with the rest of the movie. I didn't necessarily feel it had to, to in that drawn out. I, I felt like things could have been done a little bit different and make it a little bit smaller. So scenes I felt had less substance because the substance would be pulled through the whole movie. Whereas um, if it had been shorter, they could have had more substance for each scene. Um, and so I think that's why I gave it an eight. Okay. Okay. And what about you, Jariah? I adore this movie in so many ways. And thinking about it and talking about it, it's one of those movies to where the more I talk about it, I don't know, I just get I get goosebumps. I get this weird butterfly feeling. Like it makes me it makes me feel <laughs> which is something that so few things of entertainment can really do is make you feel and make you feel like how did I exist without this in my life before this feels like it's so so much part of my mentality and so much of what helps me function so this movie changed you you would say i feel like it did honestly i feel like it did it's not questions that i haven't asked before but i think it it made me ask them more than i ever had before and it made me and it validated it yeah it made me confront that way more than i had before of like what really is important? What is purpose? What what does all this outer influence mean for me in my life, really? And I think that it just just really made me think about it. And uh, yeah, I don't know. It just it makes me a it makes me emotional thinking about it and talking about it and watching it. And uh, I just really love the movie. It's a ten for me. Where I think the first one was a flawed masterpiece. I honestly do just think this one's a masterpiece, with the caveat of that I do think it's a companion piece to the first one still. Like it would it would be hard to have these emotions attached to this film without having seen the original as well. I think like I said one can't exist without the other in my mind anymore. They're one thing to me now. Yeah, it's just it's a 10. It's 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 so good. I don't I've never had a film experience like this film before. And then one last thing I'm going to throw in there real quick cuz we talked about it a lot is that this movie flopped. The budget, depending on who you ask, producers, directors, writers, was anywhere between 150 million to 180 million on just the production budget. That's not advertising, to which there was quite a bit of it, and then post-production and all of that good stuff. Opening weekend was 33 million. Its worldwide gross was 260 million to this day. That's with re-showings and stuff like that. There's been a few of those. Yeah, it flopped hard. 
<laughs> it flopped really hard. From what I understand, there is a small group of people uh, like myself that love it quite a bit, but even then there's not a lot of physical copies of this film running around. The Blu-ray at the time that I got it cost me $25 used, and I've been trying to hunt down the 4K Blu-ray, which has been really kind of difficult to find one that's within reason, the 4K copy. That isn't from some shady dealer, honestly. <laughs> like, it may as well be a guy in an alley in a trench coat being like, hey, you want some 4K Blade Runner? So at some point, I will track it down for hopefully a reasonable price, one that I can justify for having already owned the movie. Uh, we'll see. But yeah, um, if you want to follow us on social media, E, where can they do that? You can do that on Twitter, the last one's in on Facebook, the last one's in podcast. But if you want to shoot us an email... Give us your lengthy diatribes about Blade Runner and Blade Runner 2049. You can do that at the last ones in podcast at gmail.com. Once again, that is the last ones in podcast at gmail.com. Awesome. And thank you all for joining me on this one. It was great having you here, everyone here for two weeks in a row to talk about these two specific movies. It means a lot to me that you guys are here for that. <laughs> and if you want to uh, take us out, Robbie, go ahead. If you're going to go out there and you're going to protest, please protest safely and get tested. But if not, stay home, stay alone, stay alive, stay safe out there, everybody. Thank you for listening. Have a great week. Talk to you guys again next week. Bye. Okay, now bye. Dust <laughs> is what builds up on stuff if you forget to clean it. I, I here yeah, I got a, start a little bit better. Um, that's not the rings. No, that's that's Exxon. We probably shouldn't dilly dally <laughs> too much for Robbie's sake. Jiraiya has just been LARPing a vampire, man. Yeah, I LARP vampires all day, bro. Dude, I love to see you LARP. I'm uh, destroying the integrity of this podcast, so I'll just mute myself. Jurassic Park is so cool. Right? I wouldn't know. Maybe one day you will. Maybe. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs>